Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. And right now, your generous gift will have twice the impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge active right now through December 31st. To give a special year-end gift, go to ptv.org podcast and click the Donate button, or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffress. In response to the horrific attack on Israel, I've written a brand new book called Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. Today, we're going to look at the individual who Jesus said was the greatest person in all of human history. And yet, even though Jesus said that about him, this individual had moments when his faith was shaken to its very foundation. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, at some point, nearly every Christian goes through a season of doubt regarding God's existence, or we even question his goodness. So how do we handle those inevitable moments of uncertainty? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress looks at the surprising reaction of Jesus when it came to the doubts of one of his most faithful disciples. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress. Thanks, David, and welcome to Pathway to Victory. There's a lot of excitement building at Pathway to Victory because we're in the final stages of our Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. A group of faithful friends designated $500,000 as an incentive to motivate people like you to give generously. Our prayer is that we will receive and exceed the final goal of $1 million so that we can unleash those funds in 2024 to reach even more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the deadline is this coming Sunday night, New Year's Eve at midnight. So please ask God to guide you on how much to give. Whatever the size, every gift will be matched and doubled dollar for dollar until we reach the goal. And as an added benefit, I've written a brand new daily devotional for you. This luxurious leather-bound edition is yours today when you give a generous gift toward the matching challenge. In addition, I've asked the creative team to help me put together a resource that highlights 37 predictions that foretold the coming of Jesus Christ. When you see the miraculous prophecies fulfilled in the Bible, it will give you confidence in the credibility of God's Word, and it gives you reason to trust Him with your life. So, in addition to the daily devotional, you'll also receive the resource called Jesus, the Fulfillment of God's Prophecies. And now it's time to get started with today's study from Luke chapter 7. Doubt is a natural part of the Christian experience. So, how do we handle those inevitable moments of uncertainty? I titled today's message, For Those Who Doubt. Most of us at some point in our Christian life, have times of great doubt. In fact, I've come to believe those who never doubt are those who never think much about their faith. In fact, if I were to ask today for a show of hands, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you, how many of you have ever had a time in your Christian life when you questioned your faith? I imagine most hands would go up, wouldn't they? It happens to all of us at some point in life. You may be a student. Uh, You grew up in a Christian home and in a Bible-believing church like this one, but 
you go off to college and you hear the so-called facts of evolution and you think, well, if the Bible is wrong about that, what else is it wrong about? Or maybe you have a child or a grandchild who is rebelling against God and you pray continually for that son or daughter or grandchild to return back to God and yet they move further and further away from God and you think, if God can't be counted on to answer a prayer like that, what good is he? Or perhaps your mate, a strong follower of Christ, has been struck with a debilitating illness that has left that mate in a terrible, painful existence for months, perhaps years. And you begin to question, if God deals with his followers like that, why would I want to trust in him? All of us at some point in our life will question either the love, the wisdom, or even the existence of God. If that's true of you, you're in good company. It may surprise you to know that some of the greatest men and women in history who have been used by God have all had times of great doubt. I think about Martin Luther who said at one point in his life, Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy against God. The Puritan preacher Richard Baxter said that his faith rested on, quote, probabilities instead of full undoubted certainties. A fellow Puritan leader named Increase Mather wrote in his diary things like, I have been greatly molested with temptations to atheism. A church in Chicago delayed D.L. Moody's membership because of his beliefs that seemed so uncertain. Actually, you can go back further in history than that. People like Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, even the Apostle Paul had moments of doubt. Even the Lord Jesus himself, while he hung on the cross, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today, we're going to look at the individual who Jesus said was the greatest person in all of human history. And yet, even though Jesus said that about him, this individual had moments when his faith was shaken to its very foundation. Even though he spent his ministry proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, he himself began to doubt that because of unanswered prayer and undeserved suffering in his life. Of course, we're talking about John the Baptist. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 7 because today you're going to find this message very encouraging if you've ever had periods of doubt in your life or in the life of somebody you care about deeply. Let's look and see what God's word says for those who doubt. Luke chapter seven, beginning with verse 18. And the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. All what things, you may wonder. Well, the disciples of John went back to report to John all the things about Jesus, the miracles he had performed, just like we looked at last time, the healing of the centurion slave, the raising of the widow's only son from the dead. And so they go back to report to John what Jesus was doing. Now, of course, the question was, where was John when they reported to him? 
Let's go back and remember where we are in the story of John himself. The last time we saw John, he was at the River Jordan. And John was baptizing. John was announcing, get ready for the long-awaited Messiah is about to come. That was his ministry in the wilderness. And then one day Jesus appeared, and remember, John proclaimed, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus came down and requested that John baptize him. But John's ministry didn't stop there. We last saw him in Luke 3 when those things happened. But after that time, John continued to preach that Jesus was here. But not only that, John in his ministry continued to confront an ungodly culture and ungodly rulers. One of those rulers that John the Baptist confronted was Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, the king who had taken his brother's wife as his own wife. And John the Baptist condemned him for this unholy act. And as a result, John was imprisoned, and later he would be beheaded. By the way, I have to stop here and make an obvious but important point for today. You know, when John preached, he didn't just preach to God's own people, the redeemed Israelites. And when John talked to unbelievers, he didn't just talk to unbelievers about their need for Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's no evidence in John's words to Herod that he ever said, Herod, you need to trust in Jesus as your Savior. Instead, he said, Herod, what you are doing is wrong. It is a violation of God's standard. Somehow we have allowed to seep into our culture, our Christian culture, this idea that God's people, especially pastors, have absolutely no right to speak to an ungodly culture, that we can only talk to Christians. And if we ever talk to non-Christians, the only thing we can ever talk to non-Christians about is their need to accept Christ as Savior. That's the only message we have for a lost world. Wrong, wrong, wrong. John the Baptist is confronting an ungodly leader who's living in an ungodly way and talking to him about the sanctity, the holiness of marriage. What he was doing was wrong. Yesterday, I got an idiotic email. And all right, I didn't say the guy was an idiot. I said what he was writing was idiotic. You make the distinction yourself. But he said, you know... Pastors who get mixed up in politics, they are profaning their uh, calling. They are mixing the holy with the profane. And pastors should never, ever do that. Well, thank God, and I mean that, thank God, John the Baptist didn't fall for that kind of idiotic thinking. He was willing to confront an ungodly ruler and say, thus saith the Lord. And you look at all of the prophets of the Old Testament, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they didn't live in a cocoon and just speak to God's own people. They spoke to an ungodly culture as well. Thank God the pastors of our own American history didn't fall for that malarkey that all you can do is talk to unbelievers about Christ and nothing else. You look at our American history. It was Christian pastors who were at the forefront of bringing change in our nation. It was the black-robed regiment 
the Black Robed Regiment, that group of pastors, courageous pastors in the American Revolution, who stood up and said, we are not going to put up with the tyranny of King George any longer. We believe in a free church and a free state. It was pastors who led the way for the abolition of slavery in our country. It was pastors who were at the forefront, who led for civil rights in our country, because they chose to get involved in the political process. And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, that God's people, and especially pastors, ought to be the ones right now standing up and talking about the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, and religious freedom. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? God has called us to do that. I'll say it again. We're not going to transform the world through politics. All we can do through politics and standing up for these principles is slow down the decay of our country. Slow down the unraveling. Slow down the rotting away of our culture. Slow it down. We're not going to stop it. Slow it down so that we have longer to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ before the Lord returns again. That's the only reason we do that. That's the only reason we get involved. That's what Jesus said when he said, you are the salt of the world. Salt was a preservative. It didn't stop the rotting of the meat. It just delayed the rotting of the meat. Gave the meat a little longer. Gave it a little longer shelf life. John the Baptist understood that. John the Baptist was willing to confront an ungodly leader in an ungodly culture. And because of that, he ended up losing his head. But I digress. Uh, back to the story of John here. John would be beheaded, but right now, in Luke chapter 7, John is in prison. He's been there for 18 months, languishing. And at this point, the, John, the disciples of John go back to report to John about all the things that Jesus is doing. Now look at verse 19. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for something else? John, what are you saying? Are you the expected one? Have you had a heat stroke? Don't you remember, John? You were the one who said... Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away this in the world. You've said, here is the one who is the answer to the Old Testament prophecies for a Messiah. What's wrong, John? Why are you having these doubts? Now, I've actually read people who say, well, John really wasn't asking for himself. He was asking for others around him who had those doubts. No. He asked a question here, verse 20. He asked the same question again. Lord, are you the Messiah? What would cause John to doubt that? Remember, the Old Testament prophets and John believed that when the Messiah came, he would come not only to be the savior of the world, but the king of the world. He would come not only to offer salvation, but to offer freedom from oppression. They didn't understand that there would be a gap of thousands of years between the Messiah's first coming and his second coming. When Jesus came the first time, he came to be the sacrifice for our sins, the suffering servant. But he's coming back again one day, isn't he? And when he comes back again, he's coming to rule the world in justice and righteousness. Well, they didn't understand that. They thought it was a whole ball of wax with one coming. And so here is John, and he's saying, Lord, are you the expected one? I mean, after all, I mean, you've said some nice things. You've performed some pretty impressive miracles, but 
I'm still here in prison. And so where is this freedom that you've been talking about? It hasn't happened yet. Now, John, out of his respect for Jesus, actually softens the question a little bit. He pulls his punch. He says, Lord, are you this expected one in the Old Testament? Or have we just misunderstood it? Should we be looking for someone else? At the root of John's question was a profound disappointment in what Jesus was doing or not doing in his own life. John was saying, Lord, if you're the expected one, why am I in this dark, damp Roman prison? Let me stop here for a moment and point out what I believe are four sources of doubt in our life. If you or somebody you know doubts his or her Christian faith, it's usually for one or more of these reasons. And I want you to write this down. First of all, unlived truth. Unlived truth can be a source of doubt. One of my seminary professors used to say to us, he said, remember this preachers, nothing will cause more doubt in your life than trafficking in unlived truth. He was saying, if you stand up week after week and profess and teach things that are not true in your own life, it's gonna cause doubt. That's not only true for pastors, it's true for all of us. If there is a contradiction between what you profess to be true and how you actually live, you can't live with that dissonance for a long period of time. I tell Christians who are living disobediently, one of two things is gonna happen soon. Either you're gonna change your behavior or you're gonna change your beliefs. But you can't continue to claim what the Bible says to be true and live a disobedient lifestyle. Unlived truth can be the source of doubt. Secondly, an unexamined faith can be the source of doubt. And somebody has said it's better to debate a question before settling it than to settle a question before debating it. You know that old adage, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's a great motto, but it really doesn't work that well. The fact is there needs to be a time when you closely study and examine what you believe because there's going to come a time of testing. There's going to come a time of doubt. And as 1 Peter 3.15 says, you need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks, including yourself, for the hope that is within you. You know, this is especially true of students who go off to college. They grow up in a cocoon like this church or a Christian home, and then they go and they're confronted with an ungodly professor who teaches ungodly things, and they begin to question their faith. I think about the atheist professor who was lecturing his class one day, and he said, I'm going to prove to you that God doesn't exist. And he looks up and he said, God, if you're up there, I want you to come down and strike me. A few minutes pass, nothing happens. Finally, a 300-pound football player at the back of the class stands up, starts walking toward the professor, gets in front of him and cold cocks him. <laughs> Sends him reeling on his posterior. The professor stands up, wipes the blood off of his nose and said, why did you do that? The football player said, God was busy, so he sent me. <laughs> now, students somewhere, you're gonna meet a professor like that who has all of this evidence, and that's why it is so important that you be grounded in your faith and know what you believe and why you believe it. An unexamined faith can be a source of doubt. 
Now, there's really nothing in the text that suggests that there was any unlived truth in John's life or an unexamined faith, but these next two sources of doubt, I think, apply. The third source of doubt can be unanswered prayer. You know, John wasn't upset about what Jesus was doing. It's what he wasn't doing. When John the Baptist said, send a message to Jesus and ask him if he's the expected one, what John was really saying was, hey, Jesus, remember me? I hadn't heard from you in 18 months. Have you forgotten about me? No doubt he was requesting that Jesus intervene in his situation. Many times we do the same thing. We ask God for an intervention in our life to do something miraculous on our behalf or the behalf of somebody we care about deeply. And yet the more we plead with God, the more silent God is. The heavens seem as brass. And that causes doubt for many people. The fourth cause of doubt is probably the bottom line cause of doubt, and that is undeserved suffering. A survey recently asked a cross-section of Americans, if you could ask God only one question, what would you ask him? You know what the overwhelming response was? God, why do you allow suffering in the world? Now, I have a sneaking suspicion when people respond that way and they want to know about suffering, they're really not thinking about earthquakes, famines, starving children in Africa. When they ask about suffering in the world, they're talking about suffering in their world. Lord, why do you allow bad things to happen to me? By the way, that question isn't original. David, Solomon, Job all asked the very same question. And here was the question. God, if both believers and unbelievers suffer financial hardship, illness, divorce, death, then what use is it being a believer? That's what John was really asking. He said, Lord, if you can't even get me out of this prison, what good are you? Now, I want you to notice how Jesus responds. First of all, he speaks to John directly through these messengers. Secondly, he speaks to the multitude who are overhearing the whole conversation. And finally, he has a word to the Pharisees. First of all, to John himself. Look at verse 22. And Jesus answered and said to John's messengers, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus knew John was in prison. He couldn't see all of this. So he said, go and report to John everything that I'm doing. And then Jesus said, and by the way, verse 23, remind John, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. That word stumble means to ensnare, entrap. He was saying very gently to John, John, remember, you'll be a lot happier with me if you don't stumble over me because I'm not performing just the way you think I should. Today's sermon was prepared for those in our audience who struggle with doubt. And I'm hoping you'll join us again on tomorrow's Pathway to Victory when I'll continue this study. 
Maybe you know someone who needs to hear this encouraging message. Be sure to invite them to listen tomorrow as well. Our prayer is that God will use these programs to rekindle relationships with Himself. We're also praying that God would stir in the hearts of people like you to join us in an all-out effort to proclaim the gospel in 2024. Gratefully, there's an active matching challenge right now in the amount of $500,000. This plan allows us to double the size of your year-end gift this December so that your generous gift of, say, $100 automatically becomes a $200 gift. Your gift of $300 becomes $600. A $1,000 gift would become $2,000. You pick the amount, and it's automatically doubled. The deadline for receiving your gift is midnight on December 31st. Now, to say thank you for participating, I'm going to send you the brand new and exclusive Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2024. It's bound in beautiful forest green leather, and I've written 260 chapters so that we can walk together through every weekday in the new year. David will give you all of our contact information right now, and you choose the method that best suits you. In any case, I'm looking forward to hearing from you today. God will use your generosity to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous year-end gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new Pathway to Victory daily devotional for 2024. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also send you both the CD and DVD sets for our current series, The Incomparable Christ. Plus, you'll also receive a brand new music CD called Celebrate the Savior, Volume 2, with outstanding music from the First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra. Your donation to Pathway to Victory today will have twice the impact because of the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. But the deadline is fast approaching. That's December 31st. So contact us right now with your special year-end gift. You can give by calling 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. If you'd like to send your donation by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time for the conclusion of this message called For Those Who Doubt, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. You've made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. We're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. And right now, your special year-end gift will be matched and therefore doubled in impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. Take advantage of this opportunity to double your impact before the deadline on December 31st. To give toward the Matching Challenge, go to ptv.org podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast from Pathway to Victory.